1: Thank you. And that's why I love that word intimacy because mm-hmm. really what you're saying is that, you know, when you are validating someone, not only are you saying, I hear you, but you're saying, I see you, right? And so that yes. word intimacy has been broken down into how into me do you see, right? And so- oh that one's of- good. Hold on,
2: run it back, Brittany. That yes. one is beautiful. I need to hear it again. I need that one to resonate and I need to feel it in my spirit. Say it again, yes. please.
1: So when you are- talking about hearing someone and seeing someone, we're talking about that word intimacy. So if we break down that word intimacy, it really is saying, how into me do you see? Mm -hmm. And so part of how into me do you see means that we are doing the work with our partner, not on our partner, because that's different. We're doing the work with our partner for our partner so that we can understand more and more of who they are.
2: Welcome to Help a Human Out the podcast where we do just that. We help a human out. Humans out. We help people. I'm your host, Ms. Danielle. Today, we are talking about when to get therapy, or more specifically, when to help the people we love get therapy.
1: My partner's dad died by suicide two years ago. I've been with him throughout the entire grieving process, and therapy comes up every few months, but nothing has ever come of those conversations not being able to afford it, working long hours, and how therapy wasn't normalized in his family have all come up as reasons not to go. But the recent anniversary of his dad's death really hit him hard. I think it's the now or never point for getting him into therapy. How do I get him to make that first appointment?
2: Listen, Sarah, we hear you. And I know from firsthand experience that therapy can be a tough subject. I mean, not anymore. I've been in therapy for a decade, but the first time I went to therapy... Fired that therapist. Then the second time I went to therapy, I was like, "Mm, this isn't gonna work. And the third time, you're getting my point. It has been something that has been extremely taboo. It's something that a lot of people don't talk about. And in the black community, which is where I come from, it is like we have to pray everything away. So therapy is one of those things that a lot of people shy away from, but not us. And while our goal on this show is to connect people with someone who has the same lived experience as often as we can, we thought we should bring in a professional because when it comes to therapy, we want to avoid pontification as much as possible. So we are bringing in an expert through study, not lived experience on this one, But don't you worry, you will love her. She's Brittany Jean Lewis. She's a therapist, speaker, and educator, providing mental health services for individuals, couples, and families, as well as mental health awareness in the community through presentations, workshops, and education. And this is barely scratching the surface of the work that Dr. Britt does. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. Britt. Sarah said... Listen, my partner is going through it. I love my partner. And you know, as some significant other,
1: of course you want the best for your person.
2: How how do we help Sarah? How do we help Sarah, Brittany?
1: Yeah, I think the first thing for Sarah and you and everybody else out there that have partners that they would like to get into therapy is to realize that we cannot make our partners or anybody else for that matter. We can't make them do something they don't want to do. I wish we all had like a magic wand to really like change people when we needed them to be changed. But it just doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. The only thing that we can do is change ourselves. Right. And so as opposed to changing our partners, we can kind of reframe it and say, how can I change myself in this situation and what I what can I do differently? Well, what does that look like? Because I imagine that Sarah's
2: partner isn't the only one impacted by this. When your partner is going through something and you're a good partner you're going to recognize that and it's also going to impact you. So I I love that you said that we cannot change our person. We cannot change someone else. But what does that look like for us to be supportive, but to also be safe and protected in the whole situation as well?
1: Right. Absolutely. I think the first thing I would definitely say to Sarah and anybody that says, hey, listen, I have a partner that's really struggling and really going through. I think the first thing to do is communicate with yourself first. And what I mean by that is actually like sitting yourself down and writing down everything that you want to say to your partner, being clear on what you want to express to them, um, and also ensuring that you're only stating factual information. Because sometimes we can put like, opinions in there. Um, Sometimes we can put things in there that are not really what's happening. It could be just our assumptions, but we have to make sure that in communicating with ourselves, we're writing down the facts. So what's the factual information about my partner's behavior, right? And then based on that, say, okay, now let me go and start this conversation, start this dialogue. But I think it's important to really write down what you want to say to really just kind of organize your thoughts and organize your feelings and and really to also make sure you're putting the facts in there.
2: You know, it's interesting because you should be prepared. All All of the important conversations in your life, you don't go to a job interview and just sit down not prepared. You you have a resume, right? You you are ready for it. And it seems a little weird to have to prepare for a conversation with your significant other. But if you're going to prepare for all of these other things in your life, and you really want a
1: good outcome, you're going to have to be prepared, right? Exactly right. And guess what? This is a a, a very important relationship in your life, right? Just like your job is something that's very important. You know, uh, a meeting with someone that's like a mentor to you. This is another important meeting. And so sometimes I think we get so caught up in, you know, how informal our relationships are that sometimes we don't think about, I actually need to sit down and have like a real formal conversation with my partner because you're a priority to me, just like everything else in my life, just like every other appointment That I make, that's a medical appointment, a dental appointment, you know, that job interview that you just spoke of. This is important to me too. And I need to make sure that I am coming and doing my due diligence and making sure that I'm presenting to you what's most important to me because I'm concerned.
2: Oh, absolutely. And I wonder if you, uh, there's so many factors, right? There's so many factors because culturally, Okay, as a black woman, I can tell you this. I know a lot of black people want to pray it all away absolutely is, so some of it can be cultural too, like you don 't always know how someone was raised, even if you 're even if you 're married to someone you know you you stay learning about that person constantly you 're learning that you 're learning a new thing every single day, and so there's so much more that that you don't know. So it could be a cultural thing too. They could have been told to keep everything inside, that you have to be tough. And then on top of that, Sarah's partner is a man. Yes. And the world has not been kind to men. It has taught men, don't you cry, don't you show your emotions. And thank God we are switching and letting people feel how they feel now and we're trying to get rid of all that toxic masculinity. But Sarah's got to kind of tread lightly on this so that she doesn't shut her husband down.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and I'm so glad that you mentioned culture. I mean, there's so many different things that uh, are factors in the reason why people don't go to therapy. And for sure, speaking also as a black woman, for sure, I understand culturally that a lot of black people feel like, okay, you know, this is not someone else's business, right? We love the secrets, you know, some of us in in mm-hmm. the black community. And so what happens is is that we. Somehow, and sometimes suffer in silence if we don't learn how to. Become healthier by sharing our experience and learning that in sharing our experience we can actually get more support than keeping it under wraps. And so I totally understand where you're coming from, and and, and culture does play a huge part, and and gender can also you know play a huge part as well, um, because typically and even um, studies have shown that you know men are more external you know with their uh, behaviors, but not necessarily expressing their behaviors. Either. So it's 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 a hard hard balance, you know, right? When we're trying to talk to our partners, um, inclusive of our male partners, you know, how to go about seeking therapy. And that's why it's important to be open-minded, you know, when our partners are telling us, you know, there could be some resistance. If we go to them after, you know, sitting down and writing down what you want to say to your partner, it's important to even have a conversation with your partner to find out, okay, what's causing you to resist this? What's causing you to say, you know what, I just don't want to have anything to do with it. Seek out if it's something cultural related. Seek out if it is that toxic masculinity piece, you know, that's there. Seek out whether or not they've done it before and maybe the therapist that they were with was not a right fit. Yes. Um, you know, but the importance is to be a listener as opposed to just kind of talking, you know, your partner um, and nagging your partner about why they need to go and kind of wagging your finger because there's so many factors that are related to the reason why people don't want to do it. And so whatever the reason is that they're being resistant, make sure that you're validating their feelings because, and I always say, whether it's in you know, one-to-one with certain people, whether it's you know my mentees or even if it's in my therapy sessions and family sessions, I always say a validating environment is a healthy environment. And so if we're not validating our partners, then our environment is not going to be healthy because that means that we are basically pushing everyone's feelings to the back burner and ultimately sending the message that what you feel doesn't matter. And that's not what's going to help someone even prepare themselves or position themselves to want to go to therapy.
2: Yeah, and also when when you approach it like that, like, oh, you need to go to therapy, it almost comes across like an ultimatum. Absolutely. And you should never give your partner an ultimatum. And you know what? I had to learn that the hard way, Brittany. I did. I really did. Because, you know, for so long, the world was extremely black and white to me. And it was like, oh, no, you just have to be this way. Or, or, you know, I loved how you started the conversation and said, you can't change someone. Oh, some of us have learned that the hard way. I have have tried to mold many a partner and it did not work. And in recognizing that, I, re- I realize that ultimatums in relationships are not where it's at. They're not. You have to be flexible. You have to understand. And that validation piece that you spoke on is so important. When you go to your person and you validate them, one, you're going to let them calm down. They, you're, what you're saying to your partner is, I hear you. Right. And to hear your partner say, I hear you, is so important. But when right. we come to our partner and, hey, you need to get therapy, this isn't healthy for you. And I've done it, I've done it many times. I love so deeply and so hard. And sometimes that comes off a little aggressive, right? But it's really passion, right. just kind of wrapped up in a little aggressive exterior. But, right. But but your person's not going to see it that way. They're going to see it as, you know, this is too much. This is an ultimatum and I'm not feeling this when really the result is going to be them backing away. And what you want is the total opposite. You want them to open up. You want them to get closer. You want this to bring them closer together.
1: Right. And that's why I love that word intimacy, because mm-hmm. really what you're saying is that, you know, when you are validating someone, not only are you saying I hear you, but you're saying I see you. Right. And so that yes. word intimacy has been broken down into how into me do you see? Right. And so Oh, that one's of- good. Hold on,
2: run it back, Brittany. That yes. one is beautiful. I need to hear it again. I need that one to resonate and I need to feel it in my spirit. Say it again, yes. please.
1: So when you are talking about hearing someone and seeing someone, we're talking about that word intimacy. So if we break down that word intimacy, it really is saying, how into me do you see? Mm. And so part of how into me do you see means that we are doing the work with our partner, not on our partner, because that's different. We're doing the work with our partner, for our partner, so that we can understand more and more of who they are. Because as I said to people, My husband, uh, we were married for seven years uh, before he passed away. I'm so sorry for your loss, Brittany. Thank you so much. Um, And so, you know, part of the things that we've said on every anniversary is that, you know, I love you more than the day that we got married. And I feel like that rings so true because of the fact that I learned so much more about him as our life continued together as our life experience as individual people started to change. You know, when he experienced losses, when I experienced losses, that brings out another layer of Mm -hmm. a person, right? And you start to see who that person truly is. And so part of that intimacy level is investigation, right? As partners, we're constantly investigating who our partners are, who our people are, who our person is.
2: Come on, investigative partnership. I like it. That yes. is it right there. And I need to be an... Inv- listen, I'm going to go to my my partner and I'm going to say, listen, I'm just
1: trying to be an investigative partner. I care about you deeply. <laughs> yes, let's investigate. Let's get out the magnifying glass and let's investigate how these life experiences are changing you and how I can support you as your partner as you move through this. I think, right? yeah,
2: completely. I also want you to speak on a little bit about just understanding... That trauma manifests in multiple different ways. Absolutely. And what Sarah's partner experienced
1: was a major trauma. Absolutely. That is a great loss. It is a huge loss. You know, when we go through grief, you know, there's so much that is not just only happening to us emotionally, but there's things that are happening to us physically, right? And so even when we're talking about the emotional effects of trauma, I talk a lot about primary grief and secondary grief, right? So the primary loss is the actual loss of the person, right? Right. so when we talk about that secondary grief, we're talking about the function and the role of that person now no longer being in our lives, right? So if this person that we lost was someone that was a leader in our lives, someone that you know gave advice, gave encouragement to us, uh, someone that helped us in really difficult times. That person, that role, and that function of that person is no longer there. So that means that there's this hole now, mm-hmm. you know, that is missing from that person um, because of who they lost in that secondary grief that they've experienced. Talk about trauma, right? It's literally like that person, that role, and that function was completely ripped from them, and so now. That person has to learn how to rebuild a life without that role and function there. Mm
2: -hmm. So let's say Sarah, who, first of all, shout out to Sarah for reaching out for the help, okay? Because that is a dedicated partner. Shout out to Sarah who said, my partner is struggling and I don't know what to do.
1: And absolutely I, I and love Sarah, that we all have been there and I, and I really Sarah I really want to say that we all have been there um, it has to be a really helpless place and I, and I know from even experience you know where things that my partner experienced where I'm just like okay I don't know what to do in this situation how can I help you right and so part of that is saying, okay, I can help you based on me investigating and asking you what your needs are, right? Oh, absolutely. So let's say that Sarah sits
2: down and she does her notes. She makes that outline of how she wants to approach her partner. She wants to approach with love. She wants to be calm. She doesn't want to give an ultimatum. Right. What if she uses her notes, she does everything that we say, she takes your advice and her partner still doesn't want to go to therapy.
1: Yeah. What does, what does Sarah do then? So I think it's also important to make sure that you're having a conversation with your partner, not necessarily pointing the finger at him. Right. And saying like, you need to go to therapy because you're doing this and you're doing that. I think it's, it's, prior to even us getting to that place of, well, what if he doesn't go to therapy even after this? We want to make sure that everything that we're doing prior to that, we're doing everything that we can to be as supportive as possible. And part of that is... Touching on the behavior as opposed to the person, yes, right. So we're going to call out the behavior. We're not going to call out the person, right? So it's different if you're if you say to someone, you know, you um, you're just totally an unhealthy person because you've been sleeping all day, right? As opposed to saying that, saying something like, "I'm noticing that you know the behavior of sleeping a little bit more than usual. That's something that I'm really concerned about because that's not who you are." typically as a person. And so let's talk about that, right?
2: And and it's so dangerous to constantly say, you, 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 listen. I I taught fourth grade last year. I teach first grade this year. I statements are
1: powerful. They are so powerful. I feel.
2: Yes. I feel. I'm frustrated. I'm sad. It hurts me that you're sad. I, we are program to make it about the other person you 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 right yes and that is only going to put up those
1: defenses absolutely Absolutely. Especially, especially when your partner is already suffering, right? Because I I always talk so much about judgments, right? And, you know, making sure that you are not using any judgments like should and would and could, um, and really sticking to the I'm noticing as opposed to you're doing. Oh, I like that. I'm noticing. Yes. Right. Like I'm noticing that you're sleeping a lot or I'm noticing that you're not really eating as much. Um, How can I help? How can I support? Right. It's so amazing that you
2: the language, I think so much of it comes down to the language. And and listen, you are a professional, Brittany. Okay, so you've been you've been educated in this language. You know how to do it. But for for the rest of us, we've just been taught and a lot of us have been taught in the most dysfunctional of ways. Right. We only know what we've seen in our families. We've only known what we we've learned in our own relationships. And so sometimes you're just lacking that knowledge and you're just lacking the language. And what you just did for myself and for all the helpers, what you did was you gave us the language. I feel I notice that I notice is not it's not aggressive. It's it's caring. It's coming from a place of love. I notice
1: you're not yourself
2: these days. And I care about you. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. It's just, it's about It's about the language. It's about us learning how to reframe um, our thoughts, our perceptions, our assumptions. And so that's why it's so key and so important to really sit down and be in a clear space to write down what you'd like to say to your partner, because it kind of takes some of the the feeling and the emotion out. and, And sooner or later, you really kind of start getting down to the nitty gritty of the factual information, specifically the behaviors that you're seeing, that you're saying, this is the reason why... I would like to help you find a therapist because I'm noticing these particular behaviors as opposed to, you know, you're you're unhealthy or you're doing this. Or you shouldn't, wouldn't, or couldn't. Yeah, you shouldn't be doing this. You know, this is this is ridiculous, right? Adding those adjectives in to describe the behavior. No, we're just pointing out the behavior. We're not putting any judgments and attaching any judgments to the behavior. We're just saying this is the behavior that I'm noticing and I want to help you. And how can I do it? I think it's also important too to make sure that we're checking our motives, right? Are you wanting your partner to get therapy or are you expressing a need that you may have to go to therapy yourself.
2: Come on, Brittany. See, that's right? exactly what was mine. You just walked me right into my next question, Brittany. Look at you. See, we're, okay.
1: we're in sync. We're on the
2: same page Girl, here. I'm Justin Timberlake, though. I am Justin Timberlake, okay? Listen. You can yes, be JC. On, I'm girl. going to be Justin Timberlake with love. Listen, go with ahead, love. Justin. I'll
1: be JC <laughs> in the back and everybody else in the background,
2: okay? Okay, like, listen. We're
1: absolutely in sync. Yes. You,
2: we are in sync. You, you walked me right into it because here's the thing I was thinking about, Sarah. Could... It'd be possible that when your partner is going through a trauma like a a big loss, right, that somehow the actions of your partner or the lack of actions, you start to take it personal. That's it. Is it important to depersonalize what is happening and understand that what it is is grief? To understand that maybe it's not just Sarah's partner that might need the therapy,
1: Because
2: that is a huge trauma, and not only is it impacting Sarah's partner, there's a trickle-down effect. It doesn't stop there. Yes. That impacts the entire relationship, the family unit, everything. So is it safe to say that it is possible that Sarah could also need
1: some assistance? Yes, it is. It's absolutely possible for that to happen for two reasons. You know, the first reason, you know, could be sometimes we can project our own things onto our partners, you know? So for instance, if we feel like, you know what, like, I'm feeling triggered, you know, by what my partner is going through, right? Because I've experienced the loss myself, you know, and, and maybe this loss happened maybe six or seven years ago, but because I haven't dealt with the loss and now currently my partner is dealing with the loss, I'm trying to push my partner to go to therapy when really I need to be focusing on doing my own work. right? Mm -hmm. And so ultimately what's happening is that when I talk about, here's the hierarchy of care here. So when we're talking about care, the first part of caring for anyone is ourselves first. So we have to learn how to prioritize ourselves first, and then it's the people around us that we love and care about, however we prioritize them, right? But the first person absolutely has to be us. And so when it comes to having this need or having this desire to wanting your partner to go to therapy it's saying okay let me check myself first let me let me ask myself number 1 okay am i projecting my own need to go to therapy because of the things that i've experienced and gone through is what my partner is my partner's behavior um triggering for me because it reminds me of my own behavior maybe this is something i haven't dealt with that i need to go and deal with or maybe just in general just my partner being sad or anxious all the time is getting me worked up and i just need to go and see someone to do my own work myself
2: and especially for people like i'm an immense feeler if you came on here today Brittany, and you had the worst day ever but you were trying to pretend your way through it i would instantly know You can't hide that from me. I feel everything. And so somebody like me, I would be deeply impacted by the emotions, the feelings of even a stranger. So my partner is definitely going to impact me, right? And I just think that it's so so much of what you said is is really resonating with me. It Mm. makes me feel like... There are so many of us who lack this because what you said is like, I have to look back at myself. I have to do this. I have to self-awareness is what you're talking about. Right. But everybody does not have that. Right. So what's the tip? Like, what do you do to say, is this about me or is this actually about somebody else? My partner, my friend, my sister, my mom, my dad. Is this actually about me or is this about them?
1: Yes, and I, I think what you're saying, it reminds me of what I typically call in therapy call care checks. Mm. Um, and so a care check is basically saying, am I caring for myself first or am I caring for someone else first, right? Mm-hmm. And so if I'm caring for someone else first, do I need to, is this a situation where someone you know is in danger or unsafe and I do need to put that person first? Um, or is this a situation where I'm just choosing to ignore me So that I can fix someone else, right? Because sometimes we can be fixers and we want to fix other people. And so sometimes we have to ask ourselves the question, especially in in, uh, Sarah's question and situation, do I want my partner to go to therapy because I have a strong desire to fix him? Mm. Or is it I want to be supportive of his overall health? Right. Right. And right. so I think we have to ask ourselves the, the hard questions. And part of doing that is actually taking a step back and giving yourself some, a moment of silence. I think that that is so powerful to be able to sit back, to give yourself some time to really think about how do I put myself first? How, where am I putting myself first? How am I feeling? How am I reacting to this? What is it that I need? Are my needs being met? Asking yourself the really hard questions, but we cannot do that unless we get in a still and quiet place. Mm. And I think that society, especially, and now I'm talking about like, you know, women's, you know, issues. But I I think ultimately women, we are socialized to be, so many things to everyone and we're socialized to be like this octopus where we have like eight hands and we're doing eight things at one time, right? And so I think what happened- With a smile
2: on your face. Don't forget that because you can't be, because if you don't have one, you're probably going to have someone tell you, you'd be so much prettier if you were smiling.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think that's, that's what happens. We get into like caretaker mode and we get into, you know, we identify as our roles as, as opposed to identifying as an actual human being with feelings. Yeah. And so what happens is, is that we miss the mark by taking time for ourselves because we've been so socialized to do everything for other people right um and even if if you're not you know a, a woman you know just in general your environment could have taught you mm-hmm. to put people first right and so you could be so focused on putting everyone else first and kind of being this person that's constantly working and doing and doing that you don't do for yourself and so having a moment of silence asking yourself the hard questions is the way that you really get to the root of Am I being taken care of? Are my needs being met? What does that look like for me? How am I feeling? How is my partner's situation affecting me? And, and what are my feelings that are coming up?
2: And I think that's scary for a lot of people to ask yourself those questions, those tough questions, are, because then you, if you ask yourself those questions, you have two options. Either I'm going to tell myself the whole truth, nothing but the truth, or I'm going to lie to myself, Right. And lying to yourself is not going to help you in any way. But when you, like you said, when you sit in that silence and you really start to ask yourself those questions, that's kind of when you really figure out how you actually feel. Sometimes we just react, right? We react because we're in the moment. Sometimes we react because we're on the, the defense. You know, sometimes it just happens so quickly and we don't know. When you sit in that silence and you start to ask those questions, you, it can be transformative.
1: It absolutely can be. And let me tell you, I I typically, you know, when I work with families and children, you know, I talk to families, especially during this time of, you know, COVID and just racial injustice and just things being turned Mm -hmm. upside down, This being an election year. It's important to check in on the kids, right? But I also tell the parents, don't forget to check in with yourselves too. And so I, you know, talk to parents about something called a check-in plan. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a care plan, right? So, Literally, it is a feelings chart and it just has all those old school feelings charts. If anybody has ever been to therapy before with their kids, you'll know the therapist has like a big chart with all these different faces on it.
2: Mood meter. Yes. I'm a teacher. We call it a mood meter.
1: Yes. And so there's faces that have, that actually put very specific feelings to broader feelings. So like sad could be, you know, disappointed. It can be embarrassment. You know, anger could be, you know, frustrated. It could also be disappointment as well. So there's a bunch of different faces that are on this particular feelings chart. And so I tell parents, do this for yourself every day. Do a care check, right? Because you're going to easily be able to identify a face and a feeling and really figure out like, okay, why did I feel disappointed today? What happened that I was embarrassed today? What made me angry today? And sit with that. Because then it will teach you your triggers. Absolutely. And like, let me tell you the power of like five to 10 minutes a day doing that, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you did that in the morning and if you did that right before the uh, the nighttime, you're sitting down and you're saying, okay, how am I feeling? Let me scan the feelings chart and actually say like, okay, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm struggling today. Yeah. Why am I struggling, right? You're asking yourself these questions. Why am I struggling? What caused me to struggle? You know, what were some of my thoughts today? What were some of my irrational thoughts today? Mm-hmm. You know, what are some things that came up for me that were really really upsetting and and really challenging. And based on that, what were the triggers and then what do what do I need? What do I need from my support system? Do I even have a support system? Do that I know what part. that looks like to receive support? Right? Do I, I do I even have a group of people that I can go to, or am I always that person? Mm. So the silence, literally, that 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 age-old phrase of silence is golden, but silence is golden for so many different reasons. Silence is golden because that is the key to unlock self-awareness oh. and to really figure out where you are and who you are and how to proceed when you're feeling like you're struggling and you need the help.
2: All right, we'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. When it comes to your wedding day, there are a lot of things to plan. You got to find the dress, the venue, etc. <laughs> then the day comes around and before you know it, it's over. <laughs> It was beautiful, and you don't want to forget a second of it, and you won't, because you hired Brandon Worth as your wedding photographer. Brandon is creative, genuine, and knows exactly how to capture the one-of-a-kind moments that make your wedding day unique. He believes in blending surrealism with natural, beautiful, nuanced storytelling, never straying too far from honest imagery, but also remembering that things are only impossible until they're not. If you're looking for something a little different, Brandon Worth is the photographer for you. Brandon shoots engagements and weddings. He promises it won't be awkward and definitely doesn't need to be over-stylized and sappy. All it needs to be is you and your love. Learn more about Brandon or book him to take photos for your special day by checking out his website. That's brandonworth.com. Again, that's brandon b r a n d o n worth w e r t h.com. We are back. Hope you didn't miss us too much, and let's get right back to it with Dr. Britt answering Sarah's question about how to help the people we love seek therapy. I know that so many of us are really trying to figure out who we are. Absolutely, who we really are. What what, what has been given to me mm-hmm. from myself, my own experiences? What has been given to me from the things I watch, the things I yeah. hear? the people I'm around, there are so many layers to who we are and half of them don't even belong to us. Right. So when you sit down and you you have those moments, you know, that you that you told us to do in the morning and in the evening, you really get to know yourself and you might even be surprised. Right. You might be so surprised. You might just have those those moments where you're like, huh, why did I respond that way? Why did I react that way? Does Mm -hmm. this actually hurt me or is this don't this doesn't even belong to me? Yeah, And when you start asking yourself those questions, I can imagine that you start to shift. You change and you navigate the world and your life and your relationships and your situations differently.
1: Yes. And this is exactly why self-care is not this big event. Self-care is small, intentional things that you are doing throughout your day to make yourself feel better.
2: Girl, Brittany, sometimes self-care is just staying in bed
1: absolutely because that's something intentional that you are doing right. and to sometimes make feel better. it's getting out of bed <laughs> right you know sometimes
2: it, it, it people think i think there's you know self care is so trendy right it's so trendy self care is so trendy and people think oh you got to pay big money or spots. nope no self
1: care is different for everyone and peace of mind is what it is to you right self care is doing whatever you need to do to function Absolutely. throughout the day right Absolutely. and so if staying in bed is it for you for that that day or for that hour or for however long then that's that's what you need and that's okay right now of course if that's happening for an extended period of time of course this is my therapist answer mm-hmm. if that's happening for an extended period of time then of course you know there's you know more intervention that you can need but at the end of the day if you know that you're a functioning person And you just need this day to just lay in bed and just eat from your bed, have phone calls from your bed, you know, have meetings from your bed since, you know, we're all like working from home still, then that's exactly what you do because it's these small intentional things that lead up to how do I maximize my functioning? And in order for me to maximize my functioning, I need to take it down a couple notches, which means that I need to be in bed all day doing everything from my bed. Yep.
2: Absolutely. I... I love so much about everything that you're saying because I just think that those reminders are so necessary. It's not like you wake up first thing in the morning and you think to yourself, hmm, I should sit and be still and be one with myself. You're like, okay, I got to get this dinner done. These kids, they got to go to school today. My partner needs this. My job is requesting this a million different things oh my goodness let me check social media when are you taking the time for yourself and and I, I think back to Sarah and I just think it's such a beautiful thing for her to like I said earlier to reach out and really want that help but I wonder at what point we realize that okay this isn't this this is impacting me so much i had and i don't want this for sarah i want sarah to be able to get her partner to therapy i want that for sarah but i also want it for her partner yeah but where is the the safety net for sarah
1: absolutely and that, that's so okay we're back to in sync again right Girl, you can be Justin this time. Take it away, Justin. I'll nothing. So, that's the next thing I was going to talk about is basically observing limits. Like, we talk a lot about setting boundaries. I feel like in the past like five years, like that self care and boundaries have absolutely been so trendy. And so, I really want to, as opposed to ne- saying setting boundaries, I really want to focus on observing your own limits. Okay. Right? So, if your partner's behavior is affecting you in an unhealthy way, Definitely seek counseling. Definitely, kind of sit down and say, like, is this a deal breaker for me? Some of the things that we're going uh, that you know are happening right now, because this could be happening for an extended period of time, and it's weighing on me. And now it's weighing on my health, right? It's weighing on my physical health, or it's weighing on my emotional health. And maybe that's that's the time for me to kind of seek out my own supports. And I think um, it goes
2: all the way back to what you said in the beginning. You can't change anyone. Absolutely. And so Sarah has made that first step. She is a loving, caring partner. She has come forward with a question. How do I help my partner? She has the best of intentions. She wants this to work. She wants this to be better. She wants all of the things. She wants the advice. She wants the resources. She knows what she wants. And at some point, what it all comes back down to is what you said in the very beginning. You cannot change anyone. Right. Right. So if he is not a willing participant, there's absolutely nothing
1: Sarah can do but protect herself. Absolutely. And you know again, you know, I want to say this to Sarah that, you know, this is just, you know, last resort worst case, you know, scenario, but I think it's always good in general to think about what uh, what are the things that we're willing to negotiate and be flexible in and what are the things that we're not, you know, that are not negotiable and that we're not willing to be flexible in and not apologizing for that. Right. Um, and making sure that we are putting that out there to our partner, not in a manipulative way, um, not as a manipulative tactic to, to get them to go to therapy, but as a boundary that you're setting for yourself. Right. Yes. yes, Absolutely. And just just because we're so in sync
2: these days, I, yeah. <laughs> I got to tell you, my partner and I, every December 31st, we sit down and um, we talk about what really worked the past year for yes. us and what didn't come, and- on, Mer- come on partner report card. Yes. Okay. Partner report card. That's the name for it. Yes. We got a new name. Partner report card.
1: Partner report card, because that's what my husband and I would do every, um, like, every month. Yeah. We would, like, sit down and say, like, okay, what's working? Is, is yep. sex working? Is the communication working? Finances? Like, what goals are we doing? Like, what's happening? Is it an A? Is it a C? Yep. Are we failing?
2: So that's that's what we did. Yeah, we, we sit down every December 31st, and we say, okay, couple contract. What worked this year for you? What didn't? Right. And the thing about the contract is we have no intention of dissolving the contract, but yeah. we recognize that we grow every day. We've shifted. Right. I am a totally different person than he met. He likes me then, he likes me now, and I'm glad we've been able to grow separately and together. But yeah. I know that sometimes on December 31st, I have a long list of, hey, this is not working for me.
1: And you know what? And think about it also. You know, we are we are people that are changing. We've gone through a lot of collective trauma. In this entire year of 2020, yes. not yes. only were we dealing and, you know, I tell people all the time, we we are dealing with multiple pandemics here. This is not just about COVID-19. This is about racial injustice. You know, this is about, you know, uh, political things that have been going on that have been affecting households, yes. right? Um, on a very, you know, macro, micro level. And so because of that, we're all going through things and the work that we're doing or the work that we're not doing is absolutely going to change us and make us different. different. Different people.
2: Yeah, I feel like anybody who has survived 2020, if you have not shifted, if you have not changed, if you have not become the better or best version of yourself, you failed whatever test the hell the universe was trying to give us in 2020. Because I'm telling you, (laughs) it was a little intense.
1: Yes. Yeah, a, a little intense. And I feel like that's even an understatement, yeah. you know, because people have, you know, sadly, you know, lost people, you know, to uh, yeah. COVID 19 and, you know, just lost people in general. And even when we're talking about loss, not necessarily losing people to physical death, but some people have lost relationships with people. Some people have lost jobs. You know, our kids that, you know, were in high school or uh, graduating they lost so much. They lost their graduation, they lost their graduate, they lost their traditions and rituals. Rituals, And if those kids had siblings and they watched their sibling they lost have even more. all these rituals, it's just like, well, wow. Like I thought this was going to be an epic year, you know, being the class of 2020 is something super. And I, I feel old because I'm class of 2000, right? So for me to say like Girl, the class I of 2020 you. is going to be like amazing. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's just like it It turned out to be so different. So there's so many losses that we have experienced that have really shaped who we are as people even now. And we're constantly changing and growing. And that's something that, as in, especially in a relationship, that we have to take into consideration constantly. Yeah. We're changing and growing, not just because we recognize that there's something that we need to change and grow within us, but also because there are things externally that are affecting us in many different ways.
2: I was going to say, that's such a good reminder for Sarah. It's a good reminder for myself. It's a good reminder for all the helpers listening because- At the end of the day, he had a great loss on top of many great losses. The year has not been easy for anyone. No. At all. And so he had this major loss, but then there was a whole pandemic. And then, like you said, all the racial stuff. So he is dealing with far more than just this big loss Mm -hmm. We all are dealing with so much. And so I think that that perspective is everything. And I think that Sarah has really set herself up for success by reaching out because you have to know your limits. You have to know your limits. And what we learned by Sarah's voice memo was that she knew her limit. Mm -hmm. And that is a beautiful thing. Yes. And even more importantly, you have to be able to ask for help. Absolutely. That is what Sarah did.
1: Yes. So you know what? Let's give a round of applause to Sarah.
2: Sarah's in sync with us. Sarah's
1: part she of the group. in sync with us because she is doing the... That is doing the work, mm-hmm. right? Doing the work is actively seeking help and actively saying... I can't do this on my own I've observed my own limits and i cannot I can no longer do this and now I need help and I need someone to you know help me and, and guide me on this particular journey that I'm about to be on you know to help my partner seek the therapy that he really needs girl
2: sarah stepped back and said bye 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 to all the bs (laughs) she was ready for her you see what i did there
1: (laughs) yep yep it's all about instinct now now i gotta get a playlist going
2: listen she was she was ready for the help and i'm so glad that she reached out because honestly when sarah needed help i didn't realize that we all kind of needed that help
1: You know and you know one thing that I I also wanted to bring up too is that you know um based on uh, Sarah's story and you know what she left for us it it sounds like I mean obviously she's not the only one experiencing this loss so I don't know how close Sarah is uh, to her partner's family, um, you know, but also kind of like seeking allies with his family as well, right? Absolutely. And the people who care about him. The people who care about him, you know, um, and really just kind of seeking some support from them for herself and even seeking support from them on like, okay, Who's who's the closest person you know to him in the family? Who's an ally you know for my partner? Who will my partner actually listen to and say, okay, whoa, well, this is a big deal, and I need to you know adhere to this, right? We all have those people, and so Sarah knows who her, her
2: partner's people are. Absolutely, call on them too. This does not need to be um, her only. This does not need to be her her thing, right? When so many people care about him.
1: It can be an us thing. And that also can take some of the pressure off of her to say something, right? Because sometimes we feel like because we're the partner, right, right, that we are solely responsible for bringing information to our partner if there's something wrong. And that's not true, right? Because it, it really is a village of people and a village of support that can absolutely, you know, help her in this as well, People that can help her and, and people that would also be able to help him as well.
2: Right. And to be honest, when, when it comes down to it, if we're going to be really, really transparent and vulnerable, the only person's happiness that you're responsible for is your own. Yes. Because you can love and you can, but your person, your partner and other people, they have to take that seriously too. That You can't do it by yourself. You can't make someone happy. You know, the right. greatest lesson that I ever learned was that my happiness could only come from myself first. And if it didn't come from me, nobody could give it to me. That's right. So he has some people. And, and I think Sarah should call on some of those people, too, because she's definitely not, I mean, clearly, the we're all talking about it. Sarah's got a whole lot of helpers yes. helping her out right now. <laughs> Thank you so much, Brittany.
1: But yes. she is
2: not alone.
1: She's not alone. She is not alone. She's not leader. alone in this at all. I do want to add two more therapist-like things, Please right? do. That's because... I'm a therapist and I just want to make sure that this is put out there. Um, in regards to those that are in any type of domestic violence relationships where your partner values control over partnership, um, and if there's a history of being violent during communication, please do not have this conversation with them. Focus on keeping yourself safe by trying to leave the relationship. Um, also, if your partner is has severe psychological issues and is presenting as unsafe to themselves or others, make sure that you seek out more support outside of outpatient therapy. Um, so if your partner's experiencing a safety crisis, please take them to the local emergency room or call 911.
2: There you go, Brittany. Thank you so much. And I I genuinely mean it. You have been such a delight and you are welcome back anytime on Help a Human Out.
0: Yes, yay
1: that's so awesome and then i i will be jc again and then we'll trade off and being justin and jc
2: you know it's amazing to me because sometimes you drop those nuggets and i just have to hand over the microphone because everybody can't be justin but you (laughs) exactly you you got it you got it and i love us being in sync so thank you so much brittany
1: no problem thank you so
2: what did we learn (laughs) We already know that these conversations are not going to be easy. When we love somebody so much and we need them to go to therapy, when we want them to go to therapy, the conversation wouldn't be so difficult if it was just going to be so easy, right? So what can we do to make it easier? Well, when you have these conversations, make sure you go into it prepared. Make notes, have your talking points prepped. Know what direction you want to take in the conversation. Because we already know you're going to be uncomfortable. Hell, I would be. Check in with yourself first. Really, really check on you. If something is weighing on someone you love, it is very likely that it is also weighing on you. Check on you. Make sure that you're good. Because if you're not, you can't take care of anybody else. Remember, at the end of the day, you cannot change someone who doesn't want to be changed. Let's sit with that for a second. Let me run it back. You cannot change someone who doesn't want to be changed. You need to accept that you can't fix someone. And if they don't want to change, then you need to ask yourself if that's okay for you because you've done your part. You've done your part. And if they're not willing to do theirs, you're gonna have to make some tough decisions. And also when it comes to therapy, a therapist is really important, right? Because they have language that the average person doesn't have. They have an understanding of a human emotion, of human emotions in general, and a level of objectivity that is huge. I know I don't have that. Sometimes I judge. Sometimes I think we all judge. But we are literally paying someone to not judge us. And they don't. That's kind of why we go to therapists. The conversation isn't going to be easy. But is it necessary? Absolutely. It absolutely is. I want to thank Sarah for sending in her question and wish her good luck. And I want to wish all of you good luck, too, if this is a conversation that you're going to have to have. I want to thank Dr. Britt for her time. And this is what we do. Every episode, we will take one question and find an expert to answer it. If you have a question, by the way, that you want answered, please send a recording of yourself to podcast at stillkicking.co. That's podcast at stillkicking.co. Help a Human Out is a Still Kicking podcast. I'm your host, Miss Danielle. Our executive producer is Nora McInerney. Our associate producer is Emma Martins. Our audio production is done by Red Rock Music. Learn more and donate at stillkicking.co slash podcast.